Well, again, good evening and uh, welcome for those of you who are here for the first time or visiting um, sporadically. We thank you for joining us this evening uh, during our worship service. Um, as I was uh, instructed that I'd be preaching, I had the, the hardest task for, for many individuals who don't preach on a consistent basis in the pulpit is actually trying to figure out what passage to preach. And uh, so I figured last time I, uh, I tried a whole chapter, and uh, we were here all night. So I decided to take on a whole book tonight. Um, <laughs> while I was deciding what to, to, uh, to preach on, uh, Judson has been going through a time where, where he enjoys watching a program called Superbook, uh, which uh, does a fabulous job as far as... Um, telling different Bible stories uh, at a level that children are engaged and can relate to, and then at the same time being very careful to be focused on and true to God's Word. And one of the stories that he loves right now is the story of Jonah. And I am I'm shocked every time I watch this. We've, uh, we've probably watched it 20 times in the last month if not more, uh, but I'm shocked every single time I come to it. It's like there is a wealth of teaching in the book of Jonah and in the story of Jonah. And a lot of times we can write it off as a children's story, and it's a great children's story, but there's actually a very pointed message that God is trying to get across to us in the story of Jonah. So as you take your Bibles, turn to Jonah with me. And we are going to try to quickly go through and uh, just overview the entire book of Jonah to see what is the main point that God is trying to teach us in the story of Jonah. So what I want you to do, and I didn't even give you a spot in your notes to do it, but I want you to turn to whoever's next to you, or if you're by yourself, go ahead and do it by yourself. But in two minutes, I want you to try to write down all of the main ideas and uh, Parts of the story of Jonah. So without looking in your Bible, just from memory, see if you can write out the entire um, story of Jonah. So I'll give you a few minutes uh, to do that really quick. I know, I'm giving you a test on Sunday evening. It's terrible. If you need to ask the uh, teens next to you or your kids next to you, go ahead and ask them. They may know. It seems a very simple story, and then 
when we're told to do something like this where we have to, off the top of our head, come up with as much of the story as we can, sometimes either we forget large sections or uh, we, we struggle or doubt ourselves as far as what we have. So we'll see how well you did um, as we go through the whole book here tonight. Uh, but I divided it down into to seven different scenes. And before we get into the actual story, I want to lay the, the background a little bit for you. Uh, this is God talking uh, to Jonah throughout the story. The main characters that we're going to deal with are going to be God, Jonah, and then these others, who are going to be the Ninevites, the sailors, those type of thing. And we have these main characters. Jonah, we don't know a whole lot about. Uh, we have this book, which doesn't take up a whole lot of time in the life of Jonah. Uh, if you add it up, you're at about 44 days, um, give or take however long it took him to travel, whether or not the, the whale spit him out near Nineveh or whether it spit him out somewhere else and he still had to travel. Uh, some of those details we don't know. But we know there's about a 44-day period here. He's mentioned several other times uh, throughout the Bible, uh, Jonah is. Uh, in 2 Kings, uh, he's mentioned a few times. He is a prophet of God. We know that in 2 Kings it mentions it. He is one of the prophets that comes before uh, the king of Judah and is going to prophesy what the Lord has decreed for Judah. And it doesn't give us a whole lot of information as far as what he prophesied, but we do know that because of the prophecy, the fulfillment was that Judah went out and they were militarily able to reconquer and reclaim a lot of the land that they um, had at one point possessed. So there, there's this prophet Jonah. He gives this prophecy to Judah, but besides that, we don't have a whole lot of information about him. We know his father's name, uh, Amittai, and uh, that he comes from uh, this uh, area near, um, I believe, uh, I'm going to mess it up. If you jump to 2 Kings chapter 14, I'll make sure I get it right. 2 Kings chapter 14, down in verse 25. It says, and there was also, um, nope, that's wrong. Oh, I'm in 1 Kings, that's why. If you turn to 1 Kings, you'll realize why I realized I was wrong really quick. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Uh, and it says that he restored, talking about the king, he restored the borders of Israel. Um, and as far as the sea of Arabia, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who is from Gath-hefer. Uh, uh, for the Lord was, uh, saw the afflictions of Israel um, and was very bitter. So we see that, that Jonah prophesied, what he prophesied did come true. And that's about all we, we know about Jonah. And then we come to the book of Jonah, a story that many of us are, are familiar with. Uh, the Ninevites, we talk about them somewhat. This would have been, Nineveh would have been this, the capital of Assyria. Uh, during this time, they were a world power. Uh, they were a might to be reckoned with. They were conquering up. Uh, at one point, they get the whole way down into Egypt. Uh, they conquer much of Egypt. And uh, they are taking over the whole area. Uh, they are one of the nations that God uses to bring judgment on Judah and Israel. So right off the bat, we have Jonah, who is a prophet of Yahweh, of God, 
who is supposed to then take this message to the city of Nineveh, who is going to be both a political and spiritual enemy of Jonah and the Israelites. And that's going to create a bunch of conflict that we see here. As we jump into the story, scene one, the Lord instructs Jonah, and we see the Lord's instruction in Jonah's rebellion. In verse one, he says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee uh, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So at the very beginning of this story, Jonah's not starting out on good ground. God comes to him and says, go to Nineveh, proclaim my message of destruction against them. And Jonah says, nope, I'm going to go the other way. Uh, Geographically, Tarshish is going to be northeast of of Israel. I'm sorry, uh, Nineveh is. Uh, Tarshish is going to be over towards Spain, which for those of you that are geographically impaired and challenged, uh, that's completely the opposite direction. Okay, That is, if I get it right, uh, yes, west. (laughs) Um, Almost directly west. Uh, I'm in that same category of geographically impaired. (laughs) Um, So Jonah decides, no, I'm not only going to disregard the command that God is giving me, but I'm going to rebel against it, and I'm going to go in the exact opposite way. It's interesting that in verse 3, he uses the term, and he fled or he, he ran away from the presence of the Lord. This is a term that is going to show rebellion in the Jewish culture. This isn't just Jonah saying, you know what, I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to do nothing. This wasn't Jonah just saying, well, I'm going to see if I can get by with with uh, partially following God or, or making plans to follow God. No, he's saying, I'm, I'm disregarding everything God said for me to do, and I am running the other way, and I'm going to rebel against God. And we learn a few things, just even off the, the this first scene here. God is just and will punish sin. The whole premise for Jonah going to Nineveh was the fact that God looked down and he saw the evil that Nineveh was doing. And he said to Jonah, go call out against it. Proclaim judgment on them because of their sin. I am a just God and I will punish sin. We come to scene two. The Lord's pursuit, the savior, or sailor's um, sensitivity and Jonah's resistance. As we pick up in verse four, it says that, but the, the Lord hurled a great wind from the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his gods, the lowercase g. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it uh, for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and fell fast asleep, so that the captain came down and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps um, the God will give, an, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and they, the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us whose account 
um, on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. We see here the Lord pursues after Jonah. He doesn't say, you know what? Jonah left. I'm just going to get somebody else. He goes after Jonah. He pursues him and says, no, I am going to bring discipline on him to draw him back to myself, to be in a right relationship so that he will then go and continue to obey. So we see that God expects complete obedience. We see here that Jonah is running. Uh, he is showing, showing some real resistance here. Uh, not only is he running, he ends up going and he, he falls asleep. He is hesitating from sharing whatever information about his God that he knows. I mean, put yourself in Jonah's shoes. You get on a ship. You know you're running from the Almighty God, the one that is the creator of everything, who is in control of all. You, you decide somehow in your mind that you're going to run away from him. How that happens, I don't know. But he's going to run away from God, and the next thing you know, this storm comes on the ship. A really bad storm, wanting to the point where the, the sailors are saying, okay, we're going to throw everything off of the ship. You know, we may lose all of our money that we are going to make it on this trip, but we're going to seek to save our own lives, and they throw everything overboard. And in the midst of all of that, you decide to go take a nap in the bottom of the ship because what's going to happen? You're on a ship, right? You're going to survive. No, the sailors are scared to death, and here Jonah is. He's not even concerned. Or maybe he is concerned, but he's just realized, you know what? I have done too much wrong, and God is not going to accept me back. Or he's just um, realized that he is going to continue to run away from God, and if God kills him, then, hey, it's the end of it, and I don't have to deal with it. But Jonah's here sleeping in the middle of this storm. He's resisting God. His disobedience has taken him that far that he is running away from God, and he's hesitating to share. If you look here, this is like a Baptist favorite questions. Like, where are you from? What denomination are you? What God do you serve? And Jonah kind of sheepishly sits back, and they have to press him to figure out, where are you from? Here's a, an individual who knows the Almighty God, but because of his disobedience, because of where he is personally with God, He's not going to share his faith. He's not going to share who he believes in. He's running away from his God. Why would he tell others about his God? And yet it's the perfect opportunity. And these sailors are sensitive. They're wanting to know what is happening that is bringing this judgment on us. Is it something I did? And they're going around. They're casting lots. They're doing other things to be able to try to figure out, God, please show us who's at fault here. And there you have Jonah having to be woken up, having to be told to pray, having to be told to explain why he's running away from his God. And that leads us in to scene three. The sailor's concern and confession and Jonah's callousness. In verse 10, we pick up the story and he says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? 
For the sea grew more and more temptuous, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it um, as it pleases you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows. It's interesting here that here we have a servant of God, a prophet. One who is supposed to be the representative of God. He's running away from God. He gets into trouble, and the people that are most concerned about those around them are actually the sailors. Did you notice they try to save Jonah here? This is the one, one part of the Superbook story that I disagree with. Uh, the Superbook story, they try to throw him overboard right away. They're all, all in for it. But if you notice the text here, in verse um, 14, it says, Therefore, I'm sorry, not 14. Uh, 13, nevertheless, even though Jonah says, throw me overboard. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. They tried to save Jonah. They had a concern and a compassion for others around them, even though the individual that should have would have been Jonah, the representative of God. Jonah, he's hard. Whether he doesn't really care or whether or not he's just given up, whether he's not, he's decided he's going to run away from the ministry that God has called him to, or whether or not he made too many mistakes, he doesn't care. The, the sailors have to keep prying him for what do we have to do? I mean, this is the perfect opportunity to say, okay, well, we need to repent and we need to call upon God. But Jonah was running away from God. He didn't want to do that. And he gave up the opportunity to share a gospel presentation in the Old Testament about who God was. And we see that the sailors are more concerned for the salvation of Jonah physically than Jonah is about the souls of the sailors. Now God miraculously, through this all, God is full of mercy and delivers the sailors even while dealing with Jonah's rebellion. God is so full of mercy that even though he is bringing this punishment on Jonah, he's still mindful of the sailors. He still hears their plea and their call, and he ends up saving them. It says at the very end uh, that they, the sea calmed when they threw Jonah overboard. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God is full of mercy. And he delivers. And at the same time, he chastens those that are his own when they run away from him. He goes after, after Jonah. He continues to pursue him, to bring him back to himself. Then we find uh, scene four. The Lord's salvation and Jonah's repentance. It says at the end of verse, or chapter one there in verse 17, and the Lord appointed 
a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This is the fun part of the story. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. God rescues Jonah. He saves him physically, sending this fish along, whether it's a whale or another fish. Who knows? But he sends this fish to rescue Jonah, and then finally, when Jonah hits rock bottom, or actually a very squishy, smelly bottom, he realizes his position and his broken relationship. He cries out to the Lord in verse, uh, the end of verse 2 there, uh, in chapter 2. He says, saying, he calls out praying to the Lord, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Uh, in this passage, he's going to use a lot of, it's interesting, several things. One, this passage is the only time in the book of Jonah that Jonah is referred to in the personal nouns, uh, in the pronouns. This is a very personal thing that Jonah is going to experience. This is Jonah's understanding of his own standing before God, and he's crying out to him. But he's also going to use a lot of uh, poetry within this, so it gets a little difficult. Um, but a lot of the words he's going to use is going to refer to close calls to death or about as low as you can go. So he calls out to the Lord out of uh, my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol or hell I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the depths, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. And at the root of the mountains, I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. My life from the pit. Oh, my, oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out unto dry land. Jonah finally, in the belly of the whale, in the silence of his own meditation, I, I don't know, picture, picture what it would be like to be in a, is, was it quiet? Was it smelly? Was it not? Was there lots of room? Not a lot of room? I don't know, but you're there for three days and three nights. That's a whole lot of time to be thinking over what you've done. Not knowing whether you're going to live or die, you're thinking about your standing before God, and that's when he finally realizes, I have broken the fellowship with God, but I can come back to him. And God is gracious and merciful. He is eager to forgive and to the restore. How many times we hit rock bottom sometimes? And we've been running away from God because we've disobeyed, because we've walked away from Him. And sadly, when we need to run to God the most is when we try to run away from Him. But when we finally realize that God is walking Him back, walking Him up, walking Him up, ah, I can't even talk. Uh, God wants us to come back to us. He is eager for us to come back to us. 
we can turn to him and he is gracious and he is faithful to forgive us. What a God we serve. Jonah, even though he runs away, he realizes his position and he finally realizes salvation belongs to the Lord. Finally, he's got it. The lesson God's trying to teach him. I am merciful and salvation is from me. He gets spit out. And in verse uh, chapter 3, we go into scene 5. The Lord instructs a second time and Jonah answers in obedience. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth or in width. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. If you want a short message, there it is. If you want hellfire and brimstone, this is Jonah. His message, go into the city, God's going to judge you, you got forty days. Let's go home. Okay, But that's the message God gives him. And Jonah goes into the city and he proclaims the message that God has given him. That there is going to be justice. That there is going to be punishment for sin. God is a God of second chances. After all of this, he still looks at Jonah and says, you know what? I still want you to go to Nineveh and to obey what I told you to do. To go call judgment upon them. Jonah finally obeys God and delivers his message to Nineveh. Then we have probably the most amazing part of this story. Scene number six. The Lord's mercy and Nineveh's repentance. In chapter three, verse five, it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. And they, called out for a, um, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatness, or from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and the nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. That's repentance right there. Turning away from evil and turning to God. Verse 9, who knows? God may turn and repent or relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the distress that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah goes in, and he calls out, you need to repent, God is going to judge. And the people do it. They repent. If we knew that this was going to happen, how many of us, if we were in Jonah's shoes and we knew the end of the story, that we were going to go into Nineveh and that they were going to repent, how many of us would have bought a ticket and ran towards Tarshish? 
For many of us, we'd probably sit back and say, yes, if God is going to save people, sign me up. I'm going to Nineveh. It's an exciting story. And it's a great end of the book. It's a happy ending that we want. The Ninevites respond in humility and repentance. They cry out for mercy. God shows mercy and forgiveness. Uh, We do have in here in verse 10, and I just want to quickly hit on it. Um, In the King James, it says that God repented. Uh, This is not that he changed his mind or he changed uh, his character in any way. But this is that God was a God of justice who was going to bring punishment. This is talking about his character. But not only is he a God of justice, but he is a God of love and a God of mercy. And when the people in humility repent and ask for forgiveness, based on his character, he takes the wrath that was placed on them and he removes it and he gives them grace and mercy and forgiveness. This is what God is about. Yes, this is the Old Testament, and they didn't know everything about the cross and the Messiah and what it fully meant that Christ was going to come and to die for all of humanity and to sacrifice himself as the one-time sacrifice that would pay for all of sins. They didn't understand that. But this is exactly what they're practicing. Repentance. And God in his character is saving them the same way that he saves us today. When we call upon him in forgiveness and repentance, he out of love and mercy gives us his righteousness and removes the wrath that he was going to bring upon us. That's the idea of God repented. It is that he saw how Nineveh responded and he changed his response to them. They deserved wrath. But out of his mercy, he showed them grace and he showed them love. We get to the end of chapter 3 here. And this is the story that we all want. This is the ending to the story that we say, yes, God got his message through. Jonah finally obeyed and Nineveh was brought to repentance. God showed mercy on them and he saved them. But then we have chapter 4. And chapter 4 doesn't seem right. Uh, in, in music, uh, for some of you, if we would play part of a stanza and then not play the ending, it would drive you up a wall. Because there's a tension that you're waiting for that tension to be resolved. That's chapter 3. But then we realize that the book of Jonah is not just about the mercy of God towards the Ninevites. But he is going to deal with Jonah, his servant, and Jonah's heart. Let's look at chapter, or scene 7, chapter 4. We see Jonah's pouting and the Lord's teaching and questioning. We just have this mountaintop experience that all of Nineveh, from the greatest to the least, comes and repents before God And then we have verse 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What? Like, what in the world, Jonah? You just saw probably the greatest revival of history. 
And the next verse, it says you're exceedingly displeased and angry. Like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You show grace, you show mercy, you show forgiveness. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is just weird. Why is Jonah acting this way? And we see that the book of Jonah isn't really about the mercy of God in relation to the Ninevites but Jonah's view of the mercy of God. You see, Jonah had a problem. He thought that this God that he served was just for him and his nation. He was probably a proud prophet when God called him to go speak to his own people about the, the uh, judgment that he was going to bring against the other nations, the restoration of the land that the enemy was going to be destroyed. But then God asked him to go to the enemy and preach that they are going to be judged. And Jonah knew that God is a God of mercy that was going to forgive. We don't see it in the message he gave to Nineveh at all. But Jonah knew this. He knew what God was like. He knew God's character. And he was upset because he did not want to see this evil people who deserved judgment to find mercy from God. And God asked him in verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out on the city, and he sat on the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it um, in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah was that focused on the judgment that God was going to bring and that he thought was rightfully deserving on Nineveh that he decided to stick around on the outside of the city just to see if God would destroy the city. Jonah has a heart problem here. Jonah just received mercy from God in the belly of the whale. And he cries out, Lord, you are salvation. You are my salvation. And he finally gets it. But he gets to Nineveh and he says, you know what? That is for me and it is not for them out there. And now we start seeing what the book of Jonah is really about dealing with God's servants as far as their view of His mercy to others. In verse 6, we see God still shows mercy to Jonah. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and it made it to come up over 
um, up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God had appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. When the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Enough to die. And the Lord said, You have pity for a plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up in be- into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah was more concerned about his comfort than he was for the souls of Nineveh. He's sitting outside of the city and he gets all mad with God because God killed the plant that God created for him for his comfort while he's waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed. Jonah is upset, and he pouts that God saved the Ninevites. Do you see the contrast in the story? Jonah boards a ship. He's running from God, and the unbelieving sailors are more concerned about his physical salvation than Jonah is for their spiritual salvation. He gets to Nineveh, He's all upset that God is going to show grace and mercy and forgiveness to Nineveh. That's why he ran away in the first place. But he still comes to Nineveh finally and he proclaims his message of judgment. And then he gets upset because God saved them. And in contrast, the Ninevites, on hearing that God is going to judge them, look at their own life and say, In humility, I need to repent before God. And without signs, without miracles, the whole city of Nineveh, from the king on down, comes before God in humility and says, we're wrong. And they hoped that God would save them. That God would see that they were repenting, that they were turning from their sin and they were turning to God and they hoped that He, God, would save them. The contrast in this story is remarkable. The unsaved world The Gentiles, those that were outside of the chosen people of God, were more concerned about others than God's spokesperson who was supposed to be the ambassador to his people and the rest of the world. Contrast. God is in complete control over nature, and it obeys him. The wind and the sea. The large giant fish, the plant, the worm, the east wind, they all obey God right away while Jonah runs away. 
This story is not about the mercy God was showing to Nineveh. It was about the heart of God's servant in obedience to him and his view of mercy that God was going to show towards others. God ends the, the book with this. In verse 9, we'll read back a little bit. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You have pity on the plant for which you do not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And the book ends. It doesn't give us the resolution of what Jonah decides to do. It doesn't give us the answer to the question that our minds are saying, okay, I just want an answer to finish the story. Why? Because the question God is asking Jonah is the same question he's asking you and I. What is our view on the mercy of God? For many of us, we would stand up and say, yes, I believe in the mercy of God, and I believe that it is extended to all of the world. Do we act like it? Do we take that mercy past these doors to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our schoolmates, to those living near us? Are we rebelling like Jonah? Yeah, maybe we're not boarding a ship and sailing in the opposite way that God has called us. But God has called us to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Jonah was caught up with his personal biases with his personal comfort, with the responsibilities that he thought he had. Wait, God, I am a prophet to Israel. I'm not supposed to go to the enemy and preach to them. How often are those the excuses we make? God, I'm too busy with work. I'm too busy with providing for my family. I'm too busy studying to get good grades in school. No, I can't. I can't go witness. No, I can't consider being a missionary. No, God, I don't have time for you to be training me for what you want me to do in years from now, even if I'm not being called right now. God ends the book of Jonah saying, should I have pity on the unbelievers of Nineveh? How are you going to answer tonight? If you're going to answer yes, are you backing it up by your actions? This message ties in so well with many messages I didn't know were going to be preached in the last few weeks. 
We as a church want to focus on reaching the lost and discipling them. Why? Because that's the great commission that God has given you and I as his ambassadors to the world, just like he gave Jonah. Go into all the world and make disciples. That is seeing them saved and discipling them. We've been talking a lot about that. That's what this whole book and story, this kid's story that we love, is all about. It teaches us lots about God, his justice, that he is going to punish sin, his mercy, that he has sent his son and he died on the cross to be able to forgive us our sins, and all we have to do is call upon him in repentance, turning from our sin and turning to God and saying, yes, I'm putting my faith and trust in you for forgiveness. Not because I did anything, but because you have. But the question that we end with is this. Are we going to be reminded of the mercy of God that is for everyone? And are we willing to go share it? Like we talked about this morning, it is not restricted just to Israel, thankfully. Because I don't know if there's anybody here who would be part of that group then. But God in his grace has shown it to us. Are we willing to share it with those around us? Are we willing to consider full-time ministry, our missions? Are we willing to prepare for it to see if that is something God wants us to do? Are we willing to get involved in programs that will be coming up to focus on witnessing to others and discipling them? seeing them come to a saving knowledge of Christ and then growing them and helping uh, ground them in the Word of God. This week, you need to answer your question that God is posing to us, just like Jonah had to. Are you going to be concerned about the mercy that God has shown? We need to be reminded of it. Jonah had to be reminded of it. He was shown it personally, and then he had to be questioned and challenged to say, wait a minute, you know it personally, but are you now going to show it to everyone else? So God, I do pray that you would help us this week as we, in silence and in meditation and reflection, have to answer this question. Are we going to be reminded of the mercy that you have shown us and that is for everyone. Are you going to help us to fulfill the command that you have given us and have promised to help us with? That you are a loving God who still is in the business of seeing people saved. But you ask us to go and to share the message. A message of justice, but a message of mercy and of love. I pray that you'd help us this week to answer that question. And I pray that you'd help us to act on that answer. And I pray that even here in Lebanon, we would see souls saved for the glory of God. And I pray that you would do that in each and every one of the individuals here tonight. We give you the praise and glory and we thank you for the mercy that you have graciously bestowed on us. And I pray that we wouldn't be content with that, but that we'd want to share it with others.
We pray this in your son's name. Amen.